Thank you, Mandy. I sure appreciate that. It has been a joy to be here uh, with you guys. And as she said, we are really, really grateful for you and thankful for the commitment you're showing, the the you know, diligence to get here through all the Dallas traffic and everything. Uh, it just really says a lot about you, and so we're grateful. Um, as Mandy said, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit tonight about oneness. Uh, before we get there, though, I want to start with a quick story. Um, when I was growing up, I was into just about everything, but the constant for me was sports, and I played them all. I played soccer, baseball, tennis, uh, but for me, the sport that became my thing was basketball. And my junior year in high school I was on the varsity. Two years, two, sorry, two games into the season, coach calls me into his office and says, hey, you're going to start the next game. That sounds great, right? Well, for me, instantly, three very big problems flew in my mind. The first problem was who we were playing next game. We were playing Dallas Skyline, who that year, they were ranked number one in the state of Texas. Uh, the second big problem was the reason why they were ranked number one was their stud basketball player was a guy named Larry Johnson, who everybody knew uh, this guy far and away is the best player in Texas for that year. The third big problem was guess who was going to be guarding Larry Johnson? That was me. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Larry Johnson. Uh, after high school, Larry, I got a couple pictures up here. Larry uh, went to UNLV where he won a national championship there. After college, he went to the pros where he was drafted number one overall by the Charlotte Hornets. And in his career, he played for Charlotte. He also played for the New York Knicks. He made the all-star team a couple of times. He even got a chance in 1996 to play for Team USA, won a gold medal. Uh, that's Larry Johnson. That, that's him. That, that's, that's pure stud basketball player, all right? Now, then there was me. And, uh, I mean, we looked the same, right? I mean, right? So the night of the game, uh, you can take that picture off. You, we don't need to see that anymore. So the night of the game comes, and you're going to be shocked by this, but Larry Johnson dominated me, okay? I mean, I was doing my best, but he finished the game with, get this, 30 points and 32 rebounds, okay? Now, you try guarding him, right? Uh, I mean, he, he just completely owned me. But guess what? We won the game. We won. I, by myself, it wasn't even close. Larry Johnson ate my lunch. But I wasn't out there by myself. I was on a team. And even better than that, our team knew how to play together as a team. And the result was we won. And you know what? Uh, that, that principle holds true, not just in basketball, but it really in, in our marriages as well. Successful marriages happen when the husband and wife know how to play together as a team. And I want you to take note of this. It's not enough just to be on the team. You have to know how to play together as a team. And that works in basketball and it works in marriages. And when it comes to marriages, there's a word for that. We call it oneness. 
oneness. And again, we say that a lot here at Reengage. We talk about growing in oneness and pursuing oneness. But you know, we got to thinking, we've never really taken the time to explain this word. Where does the idea of oneness come from? How does it work? Um, how can we pursue oneness? Those are some of the questions that we want to talk about and, and answer tonight. And so um, it's pretty incredible to know that oneness in marriage goes all the way back to those amazing days um, of creation when God was creating the universe and men and women and everything in the universe, including the institution of marriage. And right back at the very beginning of our Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we can see that oneness was a core part of marriage from the very beginning. Um, it's part of God's design from the get-go. In, in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And in, in, the, in the next couple of verses, God creates Eve and brings her to Adam. And, and together, they, they, they get to Genesis 2.24, which is like the foundational verse in the scriptures that deals with oneness. In this verse, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In this verse, we see two individuals, Adam and Eve, coming together to form something completely new, something totally different. Um, for, for Adam and Eve, it was like, it's no longer you and me, it's we. It's team us. We are one, right? That's the idea of oneness. And so from Genesis, uh, again, we can learn that, that the oneness was part of God's design from the very beginning. But for a, few, a, a full picture of what oneness is and how it works, you have to kind of look through the whole span of the scriptures. And from there, we can begin to get an understanding of what is oneness and how do we actually engage in it, okay? And so what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna share a definition of oneness with us, okay? And then I'm gonna go back through it, we'll break it apart into different parts, and we'll look at that together from, from a standpoint of how does it actually work in real life. But uh, here's a definition from, for, for oneness. Again, uh, I want you to take, a, take good, take good note, notes of this. It says, oneness in marriage flows out of our relationship with Christ, into a daily commitment to love and serve my spouse in small and large ways for their spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being. That's a mouthful, all right? So I see a couple of you taking a picture of it. You might want to do that. I think it's a great idea. Let me read it again. Oneness in marriage flows out of our relationship with Christ into a daily commitment to love and serve my spouse in small and large ways for their spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being, all right? So let's kind of break this down into some smaller bits and that we can begin to, to get hold of it a little bit better. So it says at the beginning, oneness in marriage flows out of our relationship with Christ. And so a key verse here is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. And here's what Paul says there. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, 
Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Here's the deal, guys. The scriptures are clear that every person in this room is a sinful person, right? The scriptures are clear about that, but the scriptures are also clear that when we recognize and acknowledge our sin, that there's good news, that that sin in our lives, the, the anger, the pride, the selfishness, that sin can be um, forgiven, and we can be cleansed from our sin through the blood of Christ that he shed for us. Uh, when, we, when a person puts their faith in Jesus and accepts the free gift of salvation that's offered to us through Christ, they can be forgiven. And among all the wonderful things that can happen in that man or woman's life, they can begin to live a new way of living. Paul puts it that way, it puts, puts it this way in this verse. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Now, listen, guys, we all know this. Before a person puts their faith in Christ, the love of what controls that person? Self, right? The love of me, uh, my, my way. I want things to happen in, in my own way. That's um, we're all there, right? We all have that same love of self as the driving operating system, if you will, for all of our lives. But for the person who's in Christ, seeking to follow him daily, there can be a radical change in the way they live their life and in a new way to, to, to guide and direct them steps. Paul puts it this way, it's the love of Christ, he says, uh, this love of Christ, when it begins to control us, notice what's the result there at the end, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here's how this connects to marriage. Pastor Tim Keller uh, he just passed away a few weeks ago, but, but before he passed away, he wrote a book where he says, the ever-present enemy of every marriage is self-centeredness. The ever-present enemy of every marriage is self-centeredness. It's very, very natural just to think of myself, to put me and my needs first, to do things the way I want. That's not hard to do at all for any of us, right? We can do that without thinking. But to pursue oneness, to put somebody else ahead of me, to make their needs, their preferences more important than my own, that's, that's a different story. That's gonna take a supernatural power. And so when a man or woman understands the gospel and responds in faith and surrenders their life to Christ, the potential is there for a radical change in the way they live, in the way they relate to other people, including your spouse. So that's why we say that oneness in marriage flows out of your relationship with Christ. So oneness flows out of that relationship with Christ, but it flows into a daily commitment to love and serve our spouse. That's, if you will, the second part of our definition tonight. And, and so in this daily commitment to love and serve our spouse, a key verse was Galatians 5, where Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Jesus humbled himself. He became a servant and and he met our needs even at the cost of his own life. And now for us who seek to follow him, we're, we're called to be servants of all to put others and their needs ahead of, our, ahead of our own, including our spouse. And I love how Paul shapes the way we are to serve. Here in this verse, instead of serving others with strings attached, you know, sort of giving something, ho- hoping to get something back out of it. No, he says this, through love, serve one another. This is the kind of love and serving that leads to oneness, where we're loving, we're, we're, we're being generous and kind with no expectation of getting anything back in return, all right? And so again, oneness in marriage, it, it, it flows out of our relationship with Christ into this daily commitment to love and serve our spouse. And the third part of the definition is that it's seen in small and large ways for the spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being of our spouse. Here's the deal, guys. When you're talking about something like oneness in marriage, that's like a big topic, right? I know it's easy for me sometimes, for my eyes to sort of roll back in my head. And I'm like, whoa, I mean, how am I supposed to get my arms around this? Where do I start? Uh, how can I even make some progress on this? And I want to encourage you to not get overwhelmed by this idea. Um, I just want to say simply that pursuing oneness means looking for opportunities each day to bless and to serve your spouse. That's, what I, that's it. And that can happen in some big moments There's a couple of big moments in life when maybe when you're having a job change or when um, somebody in your life is struggling. Those are big moments and it's great to show up in those moments and and pursue and act on oneness with your spouse. But I wanna encourage you with something. Take note of this, that there is great opportunity to really take some great ground when it comes to oneness if you'll just show up for all those little moments that each of us have every day. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be anything big. Imagine how oneness could grow when a wife shares that she's just kind of had a hard day and the husband stops and says, gosh, babe, I'm sorry about that. You want to talk about it? Or can we pray about it? Imagine how oneness could grow if you picked up your phone at a random time of the day and sent a text to your spouse and said, hey, just want you to know I was thinking about you. I'm so grateful that we're together. I love you. Imagine how oneness could grow. Again, don't get overwhelmed thinking about all those big moments. Instead, know that there are great gains that you can make in oneness in the 10,000 small moments that all of us have every day. One of my love languages is physical touch. And when my wife, Jen, takes my hand or puts her arm around me, can I just tell you how loved that makes me feel? How, how, what what a blessing that is? Our oneness grows in that moment. And that is such a small thing. So again, pursue those moments big and small. So how do we do this practically? How can we pursue oneness uh, in our marriages 
um, on a day-to-day basis. I want to cover three uh, ideas with you, and then I want to actually end by talking about one potential roadblock that could trip us up, okay? So the first practical step to pursue oneness, it actually starts with you, and that's to humble yourself, to empty yourself. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, Paul talks about this idea of humility, and he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and then this is so good, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I've got a good friend who has this phrase. He says it all the time. He says, when you're born, you look like your parents. But when you die, you look like your decisions. I love that. When you're born, you look like your parents. But when you die, you look like your decisions. And... Um, When it comes to pursuing oneness, can I just make this one very obvious statement? It's going to be hard for you or me to make much progress pursuing oneness if all of our focus is on me. Not going to make much progress if that's my focus. But if it's true, and I think it is, that when we die, we're going to look like our decisions I want to encourage all of us to make the decision today to pursue humility. Pursue humility. Put your spouse and their needs ahead of yourself. I think that's the first and perhaps the most foundational step to pursuing and and advancing in oneness in our marriages. So after you've humbled yourself, now you're ready for the second practical step to pursue oneness, and that's to show honor to your spouse. Show honor to your spouse. Um, Looking a little bit closer at that verse we just looked at in Philippians 2, again, verse 3, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And you know, guys, the truth is we all have needs. We all have preferences. We all have priorities. And generally speaking, there is nothing at all wrong with that. It's totally fine. But when we talk about showing honor to our spouse, what we're saying is that we've made the decision to put our spouse and their needs, their priorities, their preferences ahead of our own. And when we do that, that's a step of showing honor to them. That's a step of pursuing oneness together with them, okay? Let me give you a little quick example. I'm an introvert. I like people, and I like to be around people, but only up to a point before I just kind of, like, I need some alone time to sort of recharge my batteries. If we go to a big party, there's a whole bunch of people, it's not going to take long for me to be totally, like, overwhelmed, and I just got to kind of get back to some, some time with just me so I can recharge my batteries. My wife, Jen, though, she's an extrovert. She's wired the complete opposite way. She loves to be around people. That's what energizes her, right? And so a couple of weeks ago, we got an invitation to a gathering. I knew there were going to be a lot of people there, and my first inclination was like, eh, I don't really want to go to that. We don't have to go, do we? But you know what? Uh, I knew it would bless my wife to go. 
And so I said, you know what, sweetheart? Let's go. Let's make it happen, right? And uh, I'm, in that way, I'm, there's plenty of times I've blown it in this area, but I'm trying to demonstrate to her, hey, your needs, your priorities, your preferences, more important than me, let's go. And you know what? We had a great time. So it, it was a lot of fun, okay? Uh, what's one step you could take to show honor to your spouse? What's one step you could take to show honor to your spouse? If something just popped into your mind, I want to encourage you, follow through with it. Follow through with it, okay? So again, practically speaking, it starts with humbling ourselves, and then it takes a second step with uh, seeking to show honor to our spouse. And if we have, after we've done those two things, now we're ready to just begin daily taking steps forward towards oneness to daily take steps forward toward oneness. And there are a ton of ways to do this. Let me highlight three real quick examples. One is just to learn something new about each other. Learn something new. You may have been together for years. You dated for a long time. You were engaged. Now you're married. That's awesome. You may think you know everything about your spouse, but I promise you, you don't. And so let me encourage you with a great question to ask when you're out together at a restaurant, when you're on a walk together, when you're driving in the car. Here's the question. Tell me something about you that I don't already know. Tell me something about you that I don't already know. I've asked that question to my wife over and over and over again. She's asked it to me. And sometimes the things that we share are just really silly and dumb. Sometimes they're more significant. But you know what? Over those conversations, I've, I've gotten to know my wife and her story more, and she's gotten to know me more. And as a result, we've grown closer together as one. So continue to learn something new about your spouse. Second, pray together. Pray together. Share some needs, fears, questions with each other, and then just take those to the Lord. And I know sometimes prayer can be kind of scary. Like we think, gosh, I don't know, I can't pray for that long and my words aren't that fancy. It doesn't have to be long and it doesn't have to be fancy. It literally could be something like, Lord, you're good. Would you help my spouse with their needs, with these questions? Would you give some answers? And would you help us to know um, how to process some of these things that, that we're, we're, we're dealing with? Would you help us? You're faithful and we love you, amen. It can be that simple. Praying together, and again, you don't have to complicate it, can be a great way to pursue oneness. And last, when it comes to sex, slow it down. When it comes to sex, slow it down. It is the Lord's goodness that he's brought you together to be husband and wife. And it's also his goodness that he's given you the gift of sexuality to enjoy. And in those times of intimacy, Again, take the focus off of yourself and seek to put your spouse ahead. And what can you do in those times to show the most love and the most tenderness to them? This goes all the way back to having that posture of humility and putting your spouse ahead of yourself. But again, it begins to deepen that oneness that you can enjoy together. Now, we've been talking all about oneness and, and how to pursue it, how to deepen the oneness uh, with our spouse, but there's a potential roadblock here. And 
my, my bet is this, that there's at least a couple of folks in this room right here who are like, you know what, Matt? When it comes to oneness, I'm up for it. I think that's great. I, I want to do these things. I just don't think my spouse is interested. So what am I supposed to do? If I'm gonna humble myself, if I'm gonna work to show honor to them, if I'm gonna work to put their needs and their preferences above my own, but they're not doing anything, what about me? How, what am I supposed to do then? Listen, if that's your reality, I wanna say two things. First, sincerely, that's hard. And I'm sorry that that's hard right now. Our leadership team here at Reengage, we pray regularly for y'all, for God to bring growth and to bring breakthroughs in these areas. So please know you are being prayed for. But secondly, if that's where you are, like, you know what? I'm seeking to humble myself, to serve, to give, to show honor, but my spouse just isn't responding. I want you to know it's still the right thing to do. God's command here is clear. We're to humble ourselves. We are to serve others. We're to show honor to those around us, including our spouse. And if you're at that place where you're seeking to do these things, but your spouse just isn't reciprocating, I want you to know you're not alone. There was somebody else who humbled himself. There was somebody else who served and put the needs of others above his own. There was somebody else who was generous and loved even when the people he loved weren't loving him back. And that's Jesus. And so again, if that's where you are, you're in good company. And we want to encourage you here, like we say all the time at Reengage, you stay in your circle, you do what you've been called to do, own your part, and trust that the Lord will take care of you, and he'll take care of your spouse. Okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, and thank you for the opportunity that we have each Wednesday night to gather together and um, lean in with each other toward you. And I pray that you would help us to um, move the ball down the field when it comes to oneness. Thank you for the fact that, um, Jesus, you set a great example for us of, of humility and serving and putting the needs of others above yourself. Help us to strengthen ourselves through your Holy Spirit that we could follow uh, in your example, Jesus. Lord, I also want to pray for those tonight who are hearing this and they're thinking, man, I, I, I just don't know what to do. What's my, what's my next step? I pray, Lord, that you would confirm that to them. Um, if they have questions, I hope that they can find somebody they can talk to tonight and, and identify what is that next step. But I pray, God, that in all of this, that you might be glorified and that we might experience more of your blessing. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.